Welcome to Write Good, the podcast that helps you write good. I'm R.S. Benedict. Cultural criticism has always been an essential part of our media ecosystem, especially when it comes to geek culture. And on the surface, it's thriving. Every blog, every YouTube video essay channel, every op-ed page of every major publication pontificates on very important questions like, is Wonder Woman a feminist icon? Did Thor fat shame me? And is Super Mario a queer ally? But is any of this really meaningful? Or is it just another part of the big corporate content marketing machine? In this episode, we're talking to Kurt Schiller, editor of Blood Knife, on how we can and must create media analysis that goes sharper and deeper. Kurt, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on the show. I, I'm, I'm a big fan of the podcast. I'm a big fan of the Discord. Yeah, check out our Discord. <laughs> yes, definitely do. You can you can see me go on and on and on endlessly, self-consciously elaborating upon a point because nobody has replied. <laughs> right. We also hold little write-ins. We also give each other feedback on our work, and I've found it a very helpful motivation to, to oh, keep it's, writing. Oh, it's great. Not to, not to sidetrack the discussion, but it's great. I've, I've gotten more written in the time since I joined the Discord than I have in like the past year and a half previously. Wow. It's really it's actually it's like really, really good for, for, for me anyway, personally, to just have yeah. like somebody say, eight PM, we're gonna write for an hour and, and, and that's it. It's like, oh okay, yeah, I, I should do that. Whereas if I didn't have that that just that little simple nudge, I would have played Castlevania for an hour or something or then right. gone to sleep, whatever. Yeah. So it's it's been it's been awesome and you should totally join the Discord. It's worth it. And and yeah, um, writing is a very solitary pastime, so it can be kind of helpful and motivating to know that like other people are doing this right now. Um, so I've, I've found it helpful. Anyway, so that plug over. Uh, Discord is part of the perks that you get if you sign up for our uh, Patreon. So, you know, give that a shot. Uh, Patreon.com slash write good. But anyway, let's get into it. In your magazine, in Blood Knife, in your sort of mission statement, you wrote, So much of our media analysis these days is fundamentally driven not by any sort of critical edge, but by marketing or clickbait or other agendas, all of which tend to be diametrically opposed to actually writing anything interesting or unique. When an essay goes searching for themes or meaning, it's often just validating something that has been heavily featured in marketing material since the Fillmore show was first announced. It's more part of the marketing cycle for the film than it is any honest, real analysis. Can you give us an illustration of this? Um, I could probably give a lot of them, and uh, I spent some time thinking about about what a really good one would would be to use. I I wanted to use a book, and there there is something to be said uh, for the book American Dirt, the mm. kind of widely reviled but still bizarrely successful 
book by Janine Cummins that, that came out, I believe, earlier this year. But ultimately, and this is a separate matter, a, a, a big part of the issue is just that there's there's really not much critical analysis of books at all anymore. Yeah. Which is itself like another another problem that I, I'm sure will, will come up, but it, it makes it a difficult um, example to you. So I, I wound up picking for an example um, the the. I, I I say the Captain Marvel movie that came out in late 2019, but I'll, I'll actually kind of say, in in some ways, the it's more the property than it is just the the movie itself. So, for anyone who isn't familiar with the the movie Captain Marvel, it's about a a supernatural space cop who has space cop powers and is part of the Marvel Universe, and it was heavily promoted as basically being like the or or one of one or two of the feminist superhero movies that it was solving this problem which which is a very real problem in in superhero media and I'm in, in in all media but if you look at the way that the the film was written about you know if if you just look at what was published about it around the time that the movie came out which was I think uh, I, I, t- I think about, I think I think I said the end of 2019 it actually came out in in March of 2019 if you look at what was written about it, Everything is in perfect lockstep, right? So you have dozens and dozens of articles all making more or less the same points about why and how the film is this this feminist triumph. But the interesting thing about it is that sort of makes makes the, the case of this is if you go back to when the film was first announced, which was around 2014, the this version of the character was created around 2012 or 2013 in the comics, and then it was announced that um, she was going to be, be coming to the Marvel Cinematic Universe in, in, in 2014. As soon as the announcement was made, all the same points were were being brought up about this is this major milestone even even to the point of like referencing things like oh the character was was gaslit um you know the character was told that you know she she needs men to access her powers or in, in, in a roundabout way she, she she doesn't have access to her powers and if you if you look at the the media narrative the critical narrative around this character in the film it is it, it is exactly the same five years before anybody had seen the film who didn't work for Marvel or Disney as when mm. it came out and people started writing reviews about it. And and the, the reason for this is basically that um, the the analysis, the, the, the critical analysis for these these media properties is not something that that writers are just coming up with as a reaction to seeing right. the film. They're not selecting a critical lens. You know, n- none of these write-ups, for the most part, w- one or two are, n- most of these write-ups are not, like, doing feminist film criticism. They're just kind right. of, like, doing, like, a is this movie good or bad? Here's why it's good. And here's the same talking points that everyone else has has been saying, basically. And it's, it's, right, it's a mess. Right. <laughs> And that's a really saying, is this film feminist? Yes or no is incredibly shallow. Yes. Like, yeah, absolutely. Like, and and is it's a like, film it's feminist? Yes or no? Like, I, I, I don't know. Like a lot of times the things I write, I'll think like, is this a feminist story? I, I don't know. It's a story about a woman, but I don't necessarily think like people would call it feminist so much because it's more of an examination than like, hooray, a girl triumphs, you know? Right, yeah, and and I mean the other thing is is that it doesn't go into 
it doesn't really go very deep into how or or why right. it is or isn't feminist. And I mean, really, the the question of is something feminist or not is the most shallow possible feminist analysis that you can do of a movie. Um, in, in a lot of ways, like like much more important would be situating a film like Captain Marvel in the kind of the the history and tradition of movies that are attempting to make a point about feminism or or more, even more on the nose, you could situate it in the tradition of kind of like the female warrior f- fiction, something like Red Sonia or G.I. Jane, where, you know, a female character proves their worth by t- becoming this like military figure and, and and a soldier like that. That would be much more that would be a much more trenchant analysis than just the question of of is it is it feminist or not? And, and it's even even more to the point like is it is it good or not like it's it's really not so much even is it feminist or not a lot of the analysis is just like well here's a list of bullet points does the good out outweigh the bad and feminist right. just becomes the the big bullet point for them basically right right it, this very binary idea of sort of virtue or vice is this a virtuous movie that imparts a positive moral lesson or social value or is it is it a bad one that doesn't do that and that's an intensely shallow binary way to look at art which is a real fucking bummer to see art talked about in a way that that's that superficial and that shallow and that unnuanced yeah i I mean like and like what what new understanding does an analysis like that give you and and this is this is really the you know the central problem is, is that the analysis that you're getting is not the analysis of someone who is very learned in media criticism and has a, has a good understanding of the history of, of art and media, be it movies or, or TV or, or you know the written word. You're getting the analysis of people who, who are good writers, you know, to, to their credit, like most of these people who are writing these pieces, it's not really their fault. It's not, it really wasn't their d- decision that this was the article they were written. It was really the decision right. of the editorial team at the publications that they work for, and, and even more so, it was really the decision of the PR team um, for for the property itself. So, like I, I, I mentioned, the fact that all these things were, you know, for Captain Marvel were in lockstep from from five years ahead of time, and the the reason is basically most of these pieces are effectively pitched by a PR team working for Marvel or working for Simon & Schuster, whoever it is that that is saying like, hey, we think that this is this major triumph of, you know, feminism. It's a big deal. They announce it that way at these like big media fets. And then they say, hey, do you want to talk to Brie Larson? And of course, of course they do. That's that's a great right. interview. And then they coach Brie Larson to go in there and say, remember to, to talk up, you know, how important the character of Captain Marvel was to you when when you were a little girl growing up and how, how important this is and, and how empowering this is. To you. And and that 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 may well be true on an, an individual level, but but they make dang sure that the correct talking points get delivered in those interviews, which basically dictates what the article is. So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's very, very shallow, as, as you say. Right. It's a way to just deliver the PR talking points. Again, it, it, it's just like, here's an advertisement, and that's it. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I was listening to the podcast Champagne Sharks um, earlier today, which I'm, I'm a big fan of. And they were, they were talking about, about academia. A lot of the same problems are happening in 
analysis within academia. Um, and they were less talking about media analysis and more about kind of like cultural analysis. But but they made the point of in, increasingly it's 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 because it used to be that, you know, critical critical coverage drove the narrative around a, a piece of media or a piece of culture. And then the analysis was, was kind of dispersed outward. And if the analysis was good, it, it got picked up and and broadcast. But as kind of more and more of our culture and our media has been, I mean, it's always been commodified, but it's become like very, very rigorously commodified. It, increasingly, it's it's been inverted where the tail is now wagging the dog, where the media is is determining or, or pushing what the narrative is. And, and then that that ultimately, you know, you you have to have a piece about about how uh, American dirt is, you know, this defining narrative uh, for 2020. It's it's not that it's it's not that, you know, by consensus, this has been identified as something important. It's it's that this right. is being pushed as important. And you, you must write about it, because if you don't, then you're the one publication now that hasn't hasn't gotten the American dirt is important article. <laughs> right. These search terms are trending. So you got to write about it. Captain Marvel and feminist are two search terms that are trending. You so you got to write an article about Captain Marvel's feminism. Yeah, exactly. Bang it out. You got you got 20 minutes. Get it out there. Yeah, and, <laughs> I mean even even like the length of these articles is it is very short, but but so so you mentioned earlier like the shallow analysis and I want to say really clearly that there, there's a danger I feel like when talking about when when criticizing this kind of analysis that you effectively give comfort to the enemy that you know you wind up repeating talking points of of kind of like weird men's rights jerks yeah, and, and gamer gator types yeah exactly who are mad at the captain marvel on the spaghetti o can or whatever that was exactly yeah and and like i want to make it really clear that this is a danger of criticizing the way that the media covers these these properties because there there is that danger of kind of doing the enemy's work for them and it is a constant challenge to, to to be clear, I think that representation is good. I think that feminism is good. I just right. want better feminists or whatever is Marxist to, you know, film media <laughs> analysis. The problem is with the analysis. It is not it is. I mean, it is with the media, too. But but it is it is not it is not. The, the problem is not that people want to make better representation in, in films. The, the, the problem is with the way that that gets covered, ultimately. Right. And I mean, I remember it being covered in a very uncritical way of like, oh, it's got a female Air Force pilot with superpowers. It's feminist. And it's like, well, it, how feminist is it when it's very clearly part of a recruitment campaign to get women in the Air Force? And we know that the United States Armed Forces has a massive problem with sexual assault. Like, there's just a fucking horrific rate of sexual assault in the military that the brass, you know, they cover up, they enable it. People who report it get punished and the people who commit it totally get away with it. Like, is it really feminist to try to entice girls to go into an organization that does this to them? Yeah. I don't know about that. <laughs> to that point as well, like, what does it say that all of these media properties choose to address feminism by making like the ass kicker female archetype whether it's wonder woman or captain marvel or or black widow like how wh why is it that 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 
that is the predominant way that these media properties choose to to become feminist, quote, quote, unquote, like that, that in and of itself is is the really interesting question to me. And much more so than than as 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 you said, kind of like check in in column A right. and you know check in, in generic in column hero, a. but woman and not. Here's a story that really examines the inner lives of women. Yeah, exactly. And the the I mean, I, I think to me another problem is that there are better stories out there being told. They're just not the ones that that get. You know, do do we right. really need twenty? media pieces about the, the the latest Marvel film, you know, couldn't we get a couple more about a, a film or book or something that that people yeah. haven't haven't heard of? You know, I, I feel like right. I, I feel something like each... about, hey, Karen Kusama's working on a on a film like let's talk about that female filmmaker who does stories uh, about women that are like nuanced and complex and interesting. Nope, nothing. Exactly. Yeah. And it's it's really disappointing. I mean, like when you get away from the the handful of like the the top line media properties, there is very little written about them. Um, So I I wrote a piece last year uh, about the film Hustlers, which is not even like like an especially not you know, well-known It's not an obscure movie. Not an obscure movie, but it was still barely written about. Yeah, which is amazing because I've heard it was fucking fantastic. It was great. It was great. It is, unfortunately, it is. It is a very good film. It deals very explicitly with kind of the relationship between being a woman in capitalism, capitalism, the expectation to work. You know, it it deals very directly with kind of the the challenges that that arrangement puts on mothers in particular of being like well on the one hand you're a failure if you don't provide for your children on the other hand if you're a worker you're a failure if you have to take care of of children so it's it's a very right. trenchant movie that is that is provocative in a way that a marvel film is is never going to be uh, it is, right. and it had some big stars in it too. It wasn't some like little yeah. indie production. They had fucking J Lo and and like a ton of like big name people in it. Exactly, and and to me, if if you need evidence that media criticism is not is not driving the boat anymore, that's a perfect one because there is so much more to say about that film than there is about Captain Marvel, and the decision was made very clearly to market Hustlers as like a, I don't know what you would call it like a women misbehaving film mm. kind of like uh like 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 the bridesmaids movies sort of right and and it was not marketed as this kind of like aggressive examination of femininity and motherhood under capitalism and yeah. as a result nobody very there was few pieces that wrote about it that way yeah, I, I feel like Widows got slept on too. Like Widows was a fucking amazing movie that no one saw. I don't even know that I've heard about of it, it. So so shame on me. Oh, it's so good. It's by the guy who did Twelve Years a Slave. He, he directed it, and it's about these women who their their husbands or boyfriends or partners get killed in a heist, but like their husbands owed this real scary guy money, and he's coming to collect. And the only way that they can get the money to keep themselves from getting killed is to do a heist themselves. And it's really fucking good. It's it's just in a fantastic movie. And like, it just didn't get this kind of press. It didn't get this kind of buzz. And like, hardly anyone saw it. And I'm really, really mad because it's very good. And it was terribly overlooked. That's a real shame, too, because like, uh, you know, a, a piece that really elevates 
the themes of a film like that and and kind of brings it to people's attention could really help out a smaller production like that like like you know what one of the few areas i do think that uh media criticism does still kind of function is is within horror to an extent yeah like like the whole i feel like horror is the one genre of film that's like still works kind of that hasn't been totally swallowed by the Disney machine, that hasn't been told where where people are responding to it, I think, in a way that feels real and honest. Yeah, and I I, I wonder how much of that is just the fact that it makes people uncomfortable. Yep. And some percent, and that, you know, horror can never be a truly mass media product. Like, like even... Yeah, you can't do, you can't do advertising, you can't do like a... <laughs> A Burger King, you can't do a Happy Meal thing for like Hereditary or was, something. I, like you just cannot do this. I, I was thinking about about uh, Get Out, but but Hereditary Hereditary is is even is even. Can you imagine yeah. little Happy Meal toys based on Hereditary just with like, like the piano the, wire, that horrifying thing that, like, goes demon pine statue, <laughs> a, a little girl with her head missing, just like holy fuck. Yeah, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I mean, honestly, God bless horror for 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 being like that and for kind of resisting that that full capitalization. And I, I mean, people have tried. Like, I do think that you are now seeing kind of the rise of like a a more media friendly. I mean, I mean, I, I've talked. The haunting extensive. of series is are blatantly about yes, this. I think yes, like exactly. defanging it and being like, it's this this family happy movie that's very upbeat and life-affirming i'm like no (laughs) how dare um, you do that to shirley jackson you know what's funny is fucking dare you the the first the the first podcast appearance that i ever did was talking about about elevated horror that really is that that really was like the marketing term um that was the attempt to fully commodify (sighs) like challenging horror and and do you know where that term came from no. Gene Simmons of Kiss created a production company to make shit horror oh my films, God. and um, they hired some absolute PR wizard who who started saying like, "We're just going to say that it's 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 elevated horror." Yeah, if any, if Gene Simmons is anything, it's very elevated. Yeah, it's extremely elevated. Yeah, it was really, yeah, like absolute trash. It, it was basically made to, to attempt to to market trash movies as if they were they were more interesting, but say like, oh, this is this is uh, this these are horror films that 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 you can take seriously. These are horror films with with themes and tropes in them, which which is is which a, a, hilarious. a lot of trash horror films are already. So many trashy eighties horror movies have this like really subversive political bent to them. <sighs> but but that was before. So I I wonder a lot about how those you know older films would be marketed today um in in kind of the, oh god. the landscape oh god like um, nightmare on elm street 3 would be like this, raising mental health awareness yes or i mean here's here, here's a really <laughs> interesting one what about like american psycho when it when it came out in mm. i think 2000 very controversial movie a lot of people were pissed that they even adapted the book ma- right. made by a an explicitly feminist director oh yeah and a really good director and she clearly had a lot to say, and it was not, I mean, it was not marketed that way. I mean, duh, that was no. not how marketing was done. And and people completely overlooked like who the director was, right? 
and the screenwriter. If, if that if that movie came out now, or or if they remade it, they would probably look do at this a worse... brutal satire of toxic masculinity under late stage capitalism. Exactly, they would be sure. And other a, a, they would be sure to tell you that, and B, they'd probably do a worse job of the actual movie too. Mm-hmm. It's a hell of a thing. <laughs> It is. It's it's weird and, and frustrating. Um, and I love the fact that I think part of my obsession with horror is that it's kind of escaped that a little bit. But let's talk a little bit about like the hot take machine. Why does it do this? Like why? How did it end up like this? Why is this our current state of media criticism of, of just like, let's pump out what are effectively PR pieces and not serious analysis? How do we get here? How do we get to this madness? So you you said one of them, which is the the, the PR machine. I, I think there's there's like two or three different things going on simultaneously that are causing this. One of them is just the erosion of traditional like mainstream media outlets, especially journalism and you know media and arts journalism uh, has really been slashed to the bone and eroded it's you know the the number of reviews that get written has shrunk the number of kind of like entrenched film critics um and media media critics has has shrunk um and and so like the people who are doing the job are trying to do more work for for less pay and so you know it used to be that being the film critic for you know the Chicago Sun Times or whatever right, it was right. was a very prestigious, at least relatively prestigious, long-term position where you were not expected to to put out you know forty-five bylines uh, a, a week, and so you could take some time and think about like, well, what is this film trying to say? You know, and and fiction is even worse. Oh, like yeah, book yeah. reviews have I been mean, slashed. You, you can't read a book that fast, but you're supposed to like pump out. Yeah, your criticism s- about it really quickly. There's no fucking way yeah. to do it that fast and really deeply read a book. I think you really need to read a book twice to 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 even begin to understand it. Right, exactly. And and so like as a result, I I think that a lot of people just don't have the time to think at a deeper level about something like say American Dirt than what they have been heavily promoted for a year. And I mean, there I think that that's that's another thing is the promotional window has gotten bigger and bigger for these for these things. You know, even even a pretty good book like say Gideon the Ninth was heavily heavily promoted like over a year before it it came out. So that by the time it came out, you kind of knew exactly what it was that it was going to be. So there was there was no sense of like, hmm, what's this book going to be about? What's the perspective going to be? They made damn sure that everyone knew exactly what the point of the book was, what the point of view of the author was, who the author was. And and so like, you know, if you were going to try to do a deeper analysis, you would need to kind of like unlearn a lot of what you had already been been told by the media which which is which, which is hard like like as a writer it's it's hard to break out of framing things as you've been told without just doing kind of like a knee-jerk reactionary take on it i think right right it's tough and i think just the fact that in order to be the thing that trends in order to get the clicks and the likes and stuff you've got to be kind of the first one to get it out there and there's that means you, you just can't take time 
so it's like, okay, let me put out something that's very buzzy or let me do the hot take thing, the very shallow hot take thing and go, actually, the shallow contrarian take and that'll get a lot of probably rage clicks and angry comments. But neither of these approaches really takes any time to be like thoughtful or deep. And, and it's interesting, like if you look at old episodes of the Siskel and Ebert's show, like they really take a lot of time to talk about what's going on in the movies. And, and this was a popular TV show. It was really widely watched. Americans all watch this. And these are two guys who have majored in film theory, who understand film, having these rather thoughtful conversations about it that, yeah, they do get to a shallow, like thumbs up or thumbs down, but they're really th- taking the time to think about it. And it's so lacking now. I, I'm glad that you brought them up in particular because Ebert, especially is an interesting guy uh, that that you can tell he he was he was a good creator of criticism because I very often disagreed with him about his conclusion right. about a film but I, I I usually still learn a lot about the film and a better appreciation of it and what's going on and how it fits within kind of the canon of film even in the reviews where I'm like He's absolutely I have no idea where he's coming up with this like like I could not disagree more about what he's saying but he still he still uncovers trenchant analysis and and mm-hmm. to to that point the just just to make it very explicit the the point of criticism is not is is not to say if if something is good or bad that's a review It's not a product <laughs> review. Yeah. It's not a product review and and that's god it there's a huge distinction between those two, and I feel like we've lost that description, like this distinction, like, oh, I'm, I'm going to, I'm a critic, I'm going to talk about how much I hated this movie, and like, that's not all you do. You uh, Tell us something more, tell us something deeper, please. I, I, I think that that attitude has infected a lot of, a lot of people who, who write yeah. criticism. Like, you've shared with me some of some of the reviews of some of your own published uh, short stories right. and like you read it and you're like some of this is just someone who's like oh finally I've been asked if I like something or not so I can say something mean about it and not really be particularly insightful and I I, I remember that like you saw that your your one short story had been written up on like 4chan or something and and and, and like I looked at it and they had actually done a much better job of of criticism <laughs> than some of the published reviews were. Amazing. Like like they they were being reactionary about it, but they did at least notice the themes and weren't just like, I don't like this or I do like this. And and so so much of criticism has has kind of boiled down to that. And your your other point about about social media and kind of the, the internet as a whole is 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 bang on, I think. And it's like Increasingly, what lives or dies on the internet is is determined by how well you can play the algorithm game, um, right. or or the algorithm games, right? Like like what works on Facebook might not blow up on on Twitter, might not blow up on I, I don't even know what else, Instagram S- Signal, whatever people use nowadays. Yeah, um, and TikTok, I don't know Mastodon, Mastodon, yeah, Gab. <laughs> But yeah, like what, whatever other like weird racist versions of Twitter there are, where oh, people yeah. decided somehow that Twitter isn't racist <laughs> enough, and they made their own like extra racism Twitter. Are Are you familiar with um, <laughs> a writer by the name of Noah Berlatsky? Yes. So he's written some really shit takes, um, like famously shit takes 
but he's also actually written some pretty good analysis pieces here and there to the point that you can you can see that he he could be writing pretty good media criticism if he chose to but the the market niche is clearly not that the market niche is clearly like i'm gonna say the worst thing possible that will make a bunch of people mad on twitter and then they'll all yell at me and i'll i'll keep getting work because now right. you know i mean a quote tweet is still a retweet <laughs> yep. even if you say this sucks right like you still showed yep. it i mean that people. was that was the entire reason barry weiss had a career at the new york times op-ed page she would just stay, say shit that sucks and everyone would dunk on her. Totally. And people would read it. And that was it. That was her whole career. Yeah, totally. Oh, and by, by the way, I mean, ha- have you ever seen when like some of the regular op-ed people try to dip their toes into media criticism? Like how bad the oh, results God. are? It's so dumb. It's so bad. Like how did, what, did you even watch this movie? What is wrong with you? I This isn't media criticism, but all all I can ever think about with like the the main big op-ed names is when George Will in like 2012 wrote an article about how how genes are eroding our culture, like like the pants, like the pants material (laughs) genes. Um, and about how how like in 2012 yeah yeah it was it was not that long ago yeah I I, I assumed it was in like 1991 in, in response to like a Bruce Springsteen album or something but no it was it was it was recent 2012 when like people have made were, have switched to like yoga pants sweatpants track pants like come on to, to the point about that outrage came 50 years too late <laughs> my man yeah you know it, it really you, you should be taking it up with like jack london um and like you know gold rush people who were who were using tent material to make <laughs> pants not not in not in uh in uh, 2012 but um my god the the impact of, of social media has been really bad um on on criticism in general uh, and I mean, a, a lot of criticism itself, good and bad, happens directly on on social media. And the reality is, people don't want to read paragraphs and paragraphs of text. They want to read a couple sentences. They want like, mm-hmm. they want the take and then like the spike, like like hi, right. you're wrong about blah. Therefore, blah right. blah. Like, did you even think about this? Um, and what always or the YouTube phenomenon of ending explainer videos? Yes. Of, like, Oh, this ending was kind of ambiguous. Let me explain it in this very superficial way. Or my favorite were the ones where it's like hereditary ending explained. It's like they explain it in the ending. There's a monologue and one of the cultists says what well, exactly what happened. Why do you need this? <laughs> I had what that thought about uh, uh, about the Joker movie where people were saying, you know, what's the purpose of right. the movie? And there's literally a scene where the evil clown looks into a camera in the movie and says the point of the movie. So so it's it's there if, if you want to look for it a little bit. Right. Um, but I I think that increasingly people people just want an opinion, even if they're they're go- like not going to consume the media, like like people want to feel like they have the correct opinion. Like there's there's become a cultural cachet of of the correct opinion. And again, cr- criticism was never about finding the correct opinion. You know, you could take no. like a feminist criticism of a book or a movie or a TV show, and you could take a Marxist criticism of it. Um, you know, you could take like a structuralist criticism of it, and these would all produce different results. 
none of them is the correct one. They're all just serving the purpose of helping you, you know, arrive at a deeper appreciation of it by situating it within the way that we talk about, about, you know, womanhood or, or gender or situating it within the way that it, like, for instance, the, the matrix films, uh, people have become obsessed with whether they are or aren't about, about trans issues. And it's a valid right. question, but it also is kind of irrelevant to the question of whether they work as, as a metaphor for that like like they don't need right. to be it that it doesn't need to be right or wrong you can still get a deeper appreciation of it or a new appreciation of it by interpreting them that way right right and as a person who makes fiction as a person who makes art like when i'm making work i'm usually not thinking here's the one specific thing it's about <laughs> i might start off with that kind of germ of an idea but part of art is like letting it open up, letting it go off in different directions, just letting it breathe and move and be alive. And then it's not about this one very specific thing. And it's a little saddening to see somebody take work, especially if it's like something that you've made and make it down to this one very specific binary idea. And uh, here's the one little thing it's about. Like, no, that's so reductive. That's so reductive. Yeah, there's almost a sense that people want to, like, defeat the art, right? And be like, I did it. Right. I climbed the wall. Yeah, like solving a Rubik's Cube. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I I saw the sailboat in, in like, the noise. I crossed my eyes and, and saw the <laughs> sailboat. Yeah, and it's just an awful way to examine art and, and seeing it as a, an artist, as a person who creates. It's a real fucking bummer. <laughs> and, you know... I think it not only harms people's ability to find art to consume, but I think it also harms the the artists. Like not not just people re reducing your work down to like, well, this is a secretly the the secret message contained uh, in you know the fairy egg is blah. Uh, but but it also I think gives people like the wrong tools to make art themselves when like you oh, come yeah, to think yeah. that like when they look oh. at art as this you know, reductive shallow thing they think oh that's how art is made that's what art is exactly yeah like well i want to write a story of where that's that's about you know about unionism i want it to be about how unions are good what story can i build around the idea that unions are good i've tried that a few times mm. and it's it's not a great way to come up with a story idea it no sucks. no whenever you try to do that it just becomes this boring shallow little nothing of a story you've you've got to sort of get more nuance and complexity to it and let it be about more than one thing yeah you may as well ju just write an essay at that point like <laughs> yeah. just, uh, unions just, are good in this essay i will yes exactly yeah and and yeah and that it like it, it really sucks and i i feel like um the 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 inability to engage like honestly with a piece of media even one that you think was made with ill intent i, I think is like a really troubling development right like like i can look at birth of a nation and say this is a repugnant movie I can still analyze it and be like, well, they were probably trying to say this and, and this is reflective of that. Like there's always something to be learned no matter how much something sucks, which which is not to say that, you know, you should you should give your money to people who are making bad media. And there is there is bad media. You know, I uh, there, there's racist media. There's media by racists. I you, it's I, I certainly wouldn't wouldn't give my money to them, but I don't think that 
you know, there's much to be gained by by going in trying to just like annotate all the ways that that something sucks or that something is is right. good, and then adding them all up at the end and the cinema sins approach. Oh yes, oh yes, exactly. The awful. This movie didn't explain its ending to me in clear terms, like I'm a baby. Ding, that's a sin. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <sighs> or or like I don't understand the the one that always gets me is I don't understand what the point of this was. And sometimes that's valid, right. right? Like, like if if you legitimately didn't, like, if there was legitimately nothing there for you to engage with, like, okay, maybe it is just kind of like messily made. But pr- presumably, if you know somebody is a pretty good writer and put a lot of thought into it, presumably it meant something to them at least. Uh, and so presumably there is the capacity for it to mean something. So maybe spend a little bit more time thinking right. about it and not just being like. I don't get it. What's the uh, what's the punchline of this particular? What's the story? moral? Yeah. What's... Where's the toy in this box of cereal? <laughs> yeah. Where's, where's Esau? I have I have to file a complaint about this fable. <laughs> right, and like some of my favorite art experiences with films with stories are the ones where when it's over, I'm not like ah, there's the point. I'm just it's the ones where at the end I'm going holy shit, just feeling like astonished. And I just need to sit in silence for a little while. Like, that's how I felt at the end of The Witch. That's how I felt at the end of Ken Russell's The Devils. Just going like, holy fucking shit. Not, ah, here is clearly the moral of the story. But just, I, I, I need to sit down for a while. I need to stare off into space after watching that. Because that was a lot. Like, those are some of my favorite art experiences. But unfortunately, it's very hard to have a, a, a clickbaity take about that. If you asked me to write a clickbaity take about Ken Russell's The Devils, it would be very difficult for me because it's such an extraordinary movie. And to just distill it down into this one little thing, like, well, it's about toxic masculinity. It's about blah, blah, blah. Like, it would just, it would hurt me to do that. I would feel terrible trying to do something like that for a work of art that I respect so much. Yeah, you would either have to kind of be like, doing apologia for it as if it did something wrong or you would have to, to mm-hmm. be like, like like oh it's yes it did some stuff bad but we can salvage this one thing or or you would just have mm-hmm. to, to boil it down to the most basic thing of 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 like this shows that blah 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 this th- this shows that the catholic church is crazy man you know or whatever right. <laughs> this is about toxic masculinity every male character represents a different mode of toxic masculinity like uh, honestly even that is probably better than the analysis that it would get because there may actually be something to that honestly is sister genie a girl boss yes or no i i mean i mean by definition she seems to be right like I mean, she is a girl boss, but I don't know. She does experience some body shaming <laughs> yes. with her hunchback. Yeah. However, she does help get a guy who rejects her set on fire. So, you know, way to spill the tea, sis. <laughs> yeah, there, 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 there's this element of, like, is... In the grand calculus of this piece of, of, of art, did, uh, did it pay the cost to make to make the point, right? Like... Like, mm. um, like you could write a very reductive piece about 
about the devils which if anyone listening hasn't uh, seen ken russell's the devils see the de- you should it's, watch it's it so fucking good it's so good maybe maybe have a glass of water set aside for yourself afterwards and some nice calm music because uh, it, it it goes yes. some places but it goes hard dude you're gonna be left going like holy fucking shit but but to like to use your other you know to to put that in terms of the other piece of art that you mentioned the the witch if 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 you recall you know what one of our compatriots on the discord found this this awful write up of it where they were right they, the, why couldn't she have been a girl boss tweet i really wish her coven had been more like more positive and feminist <laughs> instead of scary bad like oh my god yeah like like people now be, and I, I think because of the way that we write criticism because of the way that we cover media people want art to end in a period not in a question mark and fundamentally art should right. end in a question mark like it shouldn't right. just be like tell me how to feel yeah what, how should i feel about this um could you play let me some nod my head and say well it? that just shows you you shouldn't blah 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 <laughs> it's it, it's give almost me like a gi joe character to tell me that knowing is half the battle and we need to change our batteries in our smoke detector or something <laughs> fucking give me sailor moon to tell me what we learned about friendship from this story i mean think about how different a movie midsummer would have been if they had uh, carbon monoxide detectors you know wired into some kind of essential switch in their house very different film right. lots to learn there an animal rights person to come and tell you like no matter how bad your ex-boyfriend is you shouldn't put him in a bear <laughs> You mentioned SEO, uh, search engine optimization, earlier, and um, I, I did want to touch on that a, a, a little bit. Yes, it's the devil. It is the devil. It's something that I do a bit professionally. I work in in marketing, but I I market business stuff to other businesses, not to mm-hmm. to people. Um, so to me, that that's a little bit less morally reprehensible <laughs> but but there there is a fundamental challenge with the way that search engines work right which which increasingly like pe- people don't go to the front page of most publishing websites anymore like oh, most no. people don't go to the New York Times front page and just browse through like let me see what's in this edition of the New York Times um you know in- increasingly it's all like organic deep link traffic to a specific page. So what you need to do is be making this this content to to hit that search intent. Like you mentioned uh, Captain Marvel, uh, you know, feminist or earlier, which which I did that search myself and you can see a bunch of articles that pop up that probably get a ton of traffic, which is good for, for ad sales. Although um, ad sales pay very badly for the most part um, in, in like publishing uh, websites. So so good luck and Godspeed trying to fund your website off of ads. It's hard. That causes two things. One, obviously, you, you need to kind of write for those for those keywords. I, I don't know how much uh, I, I, I kind of doubt that the, the New York Times does does a lot of that. But because what what they do have is this kind of like glad hand relationship with websites like Google and, and Facebook, where Google and Facebook basically give certain publishers preferential status. Like like if you search for something on Google and click on the news tab, right, like you'll get like here's recent articles about this. All of those publications that show up in that news tab, like you're you're not going to see Blood Knife show up in that news tab because we don't have we have not been knighted 
by Google. So, so the first thing that happens is that more and more of the traffic gets directed to you know a smaller and smaller number of of sources. You can you can work within that and like find a way to make it work, but right. but Google very much has their hand on on the scale. Actually, about three years ago, they explicitly deranked a bunch of you know anti capitalist websites like uh, Counterpunch. It's going down like and and you know. Counterpunch does in the past has done some, you know, uh, media criticism and Google basically said, like, we think it's bad that these sites are getting traffic from people who are just innocently searching for regular write ups, like from, you know, regular <laughs> websites. So they, they basically like said, well, we're going to give you less traffic. Um, Alternet also had that happen. Uh, Truthdig was was caught up in that. So like Google is not just trying to direct people to things that will interest them. They are trying to direct things. They're, they're, they're making at some level like a moral judgment about who gets the traffic. Um, but the other thing is just kind of like, okay, like if you imagine that you had a room of 100 people, right? And you went in and said, hey, how many of you have heard of uh, the new movie Captain Marvel? Put your hands up and you'd probably get like 85 people in the room. And you'd say, okay, how many mm-hmm. of you have heard of the the Victor Lavelle novella, The Ballad of Black Tom, and you might get like four or five hands up, hopefully more, but being realistically and, and knowing what I do about, about people in general, probably a small number. And, and then you would say, how many of you would like to go read an article about Captain Marvel versus how many of you would like to go read an article about The Ballad of Black Tom? You're going to get right. more interest in the Captain Marvel one. And to an extent, that that is just like the natural way of things. But if you're the New York Times, you are making a decision about trying to get traffic that that factors into, where you now are much more likely to write about just the, the more well-known, well-trodden thing than something that is a little less known. And you're less concerned now about trying to champion less well-known works, right? Like, like Right, right. And it's awful. And th- this goes super hard, too, for, I think, geek media. Like, the mainstreaming of, of geek culture, I think, has been kind of bad for it in a lot of ways, because instead of championing, like, hey, look at this really niche thing, look at this emerging author, look at this kind of idiosyncratic thing, it's kind of like, here's the big thing that Disney's putting out, let's all talk about it, let's all talk about this one specific thing, and it sidelines work by new creators, it sidelines work by indie studios, and it, as a result, it makes it even harder for an emerging creative to kind of get their work out there, and it's absolutely fucking brutal. Yeah, and I, I mean, especially when you get beyond... You know, especially when you get to types of media like the written word that are just inherently at the moment less popular than films is like if you're releasing a book, good luck getting coverage for that book, even if you're pretty well known as far as authors go. You know, unless you're like in the the small dwindling number of like household name authors. Yeah, you can probably get written up. But if you're a relative unknown writing a book, unless you happen to know Brett Stevens or or something at the New York Times, it can be like, (laughs) hey, Brett, can you write about my book? Good luck getting getting coverage, good good or bad, honestly. And and I I wonder sometimes, like how how much of the coverage of like, some 
some media that that people get mad at is is intentionally done to kind of like short circuit that like like maybe if we can get get people angry right. enough at the existence of something maybe they'll write about us anyway even though we're we're not a marvel film which is is clever but probably still not a very healthy thing to have happen right let me start a beef with a writer and that's how i'll promote myself i will start a beef i mean it, it worked for <laughs> uh for the uh the omegaverse people didn't it I will threaten to put Chuck Wendig in a headlock. Oh, I, I, I mean, that might work. That is the right good work. promise. <laughs> About 12 years ago, there there was infamously this, this guy on, on web forums and, like, game facts who would put, like, I think, I think he had a book, um, and he would put his book, like, in his forum signature, and he would just go on to like forum threads and just be like like a total prick to people and just like right. troll and be nasty and apparently like it later came out that this was his attempt to like buzz market the book was like maybe if i'm a big enough oh, asshole people will click on the link in my sig- in my signature oh no but yeah it, it's it's a real shame and it is depressing e- even insofar as like the good criticism that does get written is probably getting a lot less traffic than the bad criticism that is shoddily made by people who don't really have the tools to to, to make it and, and ultimately doesn't give people any deeper appreciation of stuff and that sucks oh it's such a bummer it's such a bummer it's a bummer for people who might want to watch or read something good it's a bummer for people who are trying to create work that's thoughtful it's a bummer for people who try to appreciate art it's all around real fucking shitty <laughs> and and it infuriates me when i think about the fact that it's become kind of like an insult to call someone a hipster because they like stuff by small creatives. Like, think of how fucking backwards that is, that you're a snob. You're an arrogant, uptight snob if you like things created by individual humans and not by a fucking media conglomerate. If I think about the stuff that I have found because somebody recommended it to me, um, and gone on to really enjoy and then tell other people about, it is mostly from people who are seeking out the works of independent creators and lesser-known films and lesser-known authors and are telling people about it and getting excited about it. And yeah, as you say, that's increasingly seen as, as like a negative thing. Like, like, oh God, this person's trying to tell me about a movie they enjoy. Oh, uh, they're trying to form a human connection with me. Can't we just talk oh, about... Oh, I hate it when my boyfriend talks about movies that he loves. That <laughs> asshole. How dare he? As if I want to like, hear... sorry? As if I want to consume art that I've never seen before. Please. Man, nothing I hate more than when my partner tries to make an emotional connection with me by sharing with me something that's really meaningful to them. As, That's some real bullshit. As long as that thing isn't like Captain Marvel. Like, okay, if someone's like, I got to tell you yeah. about this movie I just saw. Let me know if you've heard of it. Oh, oh, okay, yeah. yes. If it's a Marvel film, that, that that is pretty irritating. But Then you start divorce proceedings. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Yes. <laughs> Who gets the Funko Pops then? <laughs> right, right, right. Like, hey, watch this. Let's watch this weird ass movie together. You got to see this. Like, cool. That's nice. I think that's nice. I think there's like... I do think that there is a positive direction starting to happen a little bit now. Like I, I know more and more people who are going out of their way to find independent media or lesser known media, especially older lesser known media. There's so much media out there that never gets talked about 
that just kind of got lost and yeah. a lot of the time it's very like anti-establishment stuff or it's very like queer art or women's art art made by like black people or made by indigenous people that just kind of got buried or kind of got thrown away and that's some real fucking bullshit and that stuff needs to be you know dug back out and and appreciated again yeah like ken russell's the devil like ken russell's the devils or our our mutual friend uh carlo rodriguez was talking about a book that was the big inspiration for early editions of dungeons and dragons called i think it was called the shadow people Mm-hmm. And uh, it was came out in like the late 60s by a, a female um, speculative fiction author that's been like completely forgotten. It's like out of print. Right. And I, I have I have a copy of it on the way now because it sounds cool as hell. And there's so much yeah. of our like like I would much rather have an article about that than whatever the new buzzworthy book is like if a hundred people have already written the same thing about the same piece of media maybe maybe go searching a little bit deeper for something else instead of the complicated feminism of of captain marvel i'd so much rather read about the complicated feminism of theta bara yes very much very lost silent film queen goth sex symbol goddess of the silent era she rocked. She was awesome. She had uh she had a, a very unique fashion sense that seemed to be very wings centric at times, mm-hmm. wings and crown centric at times. Yeah. She was just she was super goth. She was so fucking cool. I loved her and I'm still mad that the majority of her films are just gone forever because the film studios didn't bother to preserve them. I wonder about that a lot, you know, if if we are if if we are heading in, in the same direction as like digital archival has become impossible effectively, right? Like there's there's too much stuff mm-hmm. to save it all. Websites are constantly disappearing and and what gets preserved is increasingly what makes money. And uh, that's a real shame right. um, and, and troubling, I think. Right, right. And I think that intersects too a lot with these, these issues of oppression, of like racism, sexism, queer phobia. I mean the more profitable stuff very often isn't something like queer fiction because that's just a smaller market that you're speaking to. That's a smaller audience that you're really speaking to. And so because this stuff isn't going to be as profitable, that's the stuff that disappears. And that's just awful. That's horrible, horrible, horrible. And that kind of perpetuates itself because when so much of, I don't know, queer art kind of disappears, then young like queer creatives don't see themselves in it they just see this media landscape that doesn't have a place for them in it or the place for them that is there is very bland and tokenistic and so they gotta fucking reinvent the wheel every fucking generation when they're trying to make art yeah yeah there was um i i wish i could remember who said this but somebody pointed out that people people have a tendency to act that women lgbtq people only and you know non-white people only started making art around about you know like 20 years ago or, or something or like 2002 and, or and so and it's frustrating because you see it a lot from book twitter yes from exactly. book twitter when it's trying to be woke when someone suggests like hey maybe you should read some of the classic western literary canon like excuse me but i don't want to read books only by heterosexual white men it's like who the fuck told you that the western literary canon is purely heterosexual holy fucking shit i, I mean i mean I- what in the name of walt whitman is this nonsense <laughs> 
I, I mean, like the answer. Fucking though, is, Sappho is will right? come back from the dead and beat you to death with her loot or lyre or whatever the fuck that harp <laughs> thingy. She she will fucking garrot you with one of the strings of her instrument for suggesting this. How fucking dare you? And they do that all the fucking time. Like, oh no, the only queer representation, the only diverse representation, is in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and and fucking YA. Like, ex- fuck, you need to watch some movies from the 70s because, oh my God, the, the things that queer, that art, the queer art of the 70s and 80s is incredible and overwhelming and heartbreaking. And I think the AIDS epidemic is responsible for like wiping so much of it out. And as a result, you see this generation of queer uh, readers, writers, viewers, and emerging creatives who have no sense of lineage. They have no sense of like learning from their elders. They're learning how to be queer from like shipping Batman and Superman <laughs> and not from watching fucking queer cinema, not from watching or, or reading queer art. And it's horrific. And, and to the point of back to what purpose does criticism serve and like what is lost like obviously if there was a a film that came out in the late 70s with like explicitly queer themes um it probably was not going to be well received by the mainstream and may even be completely forgotten and the role of criticism is to look back and apply a new lens to media and say like, oh, did we miss something? You know, was there something going on here that we should be thinking about? Again, not finding the secret message, but but that is how those things get uncovered. That is how, the, the, the whole reason that increasingly people have been talking about just how much social commentary is in the works of someone like John Carpenter, a lot, a lot of horror films from the '70s and '80s that were dismissed as oh, slashers. So many. We would, we would not have that discourse if people weren't doing trenchant media criticism to look back and say, "Wait, let's take a second look." And if all you're ever looking at is the thing that's coming out next month that you haven't even seen yet, you're never going to get that. That's not going to happen, and that stuff is is going to remain considered just, you know, schlock and 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 trash. Right. Right. And there's no sense of lineage. It's, I know we've talked about this before on this podcast. I think we talked about it on the uh, creepy pasta episode. But the way that social media is kind of designed to be an endless now, 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 now. There's no sense of past, present, future. It's just an endless series of now, now, now moments. And that's so. That's incredibly anti-art. It's intensely anti-art to see no sense of of lineage, of no sense of history. Yeah, and I mean, there, there, there is an aspect of that that is somewhat unavoidable. I, I think, like, like you always need to make it's it's a hard sell to get someone to read a piece of you know media analysis that has nothing to do with the present moment and is you know like fifty years old. Like, like you you may find a small audience for it, but you always kind of need to to make a case for for the relevance of something now. But the relevance doesn't need to be a commercial event. It, it doesn't need to be, oh, go tell a Watchmen is is coming out now, so we better talk about To Kill a Mockingbird again. You know, there 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 can be cultural moments in saying, oh, 
is is cabaret relevant to our present political moment let's let's find some older right. media and see how it's relevant or how it isn't relevant there's way more than just the market that you can appeal to in, in terms of connecting with people and like revitalizing older media and, and bringing it to the attention of a new generation which again is is like like a, another essential element of criticism is like curation you know is saying this is worth your time Absolutely. you should check it out yeah and check out this thing that maybe you haven't seen like I, I get annoyed when people recommend shit to me that, well, I think we all get annoyed like when Twitter tells us, here, you should be following these accounts. And it's always these three accounts that you've very deliberately chosen <laughs> not to follow. And so so much of it is that, like, oh, you should watch blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, I don't want to. I've heard of it. I've chosen not to watch it. And with me, when I'm trying to recommend stuff to people, it's like, hey, I want you to watch this thing that you haven't seen before because it fucking rocks and you might like it and it's and I love that when I'm recommended something that I've never heard of before and it's astonishing like when someone recommended to me that completely wild polish horror comedy musical romance the Lord. Oh that was me. Yeah yeah yeah. Like, or, or oh probably my God. me and other people. It was you and I think and I think it was Mr. Snow also recommended like a bunch of people recommended it to me that that never would have come up. I would not have read this about this on the Mary Sue or whatever, but just like, holy fucking shit. Extremely my jam. Extremely great, <laughs> challenging, weird, unique art that like, of, of course, you know, when they were making I've never that. seen anything quite like this before. And I'm so glad that I saw it. And I'm so glad people recommended it to me because what a great movie. And, I know that I said earlier that like the point of criticism is not to tell you if something is good, but it, it can be to help you find stuff right. that that is good. And I, I mean, it what sucks is like I know that when people are making art like that, they're probably in their heads thinking like maybe there's a one in a million chance that we're the foreign film that blows up at Sundance or whatever this right. year. But probably we're the one Polish movie that Americans exactly. like yeah. to watch. <laughs> it's the Polish movie that everyone's talking about. <laughs> The only one now Americans develop really weird stereotypical ideas about what Poland is. It's, it's current. Poland, that's where the carnivorous mermaids live, right? Like what? And yeah, you could you could write a hundred analysis pieces about that film between the way that it uses traditional. I, I say traditional, but really nineteenth century pseudo fairy tales but but the, the way that it plays well, yes with the fairy no. tale tradition I, mean, it, it, I think it's this really interesting juxtaposition of the hans christian anderson little mermaid versus the very traditional old-fashioned like scary gross mermaids yeah the very like pagan mermaids and what it has to say about feminism and the entertainment industry and and sexuality and women and sexual violence and blah like oh my fucking and god shark guys there's so much you could say about that movie yeah, it's it's so fucking good. Anyone listening who hasn't watched that, please please watch that. Uh, it's it's called the lore. It's not super long, but it's super good. Uh, it is it is a musical it's and wild. it's great. The music is awesome. It's like Polish club. Yeah, legitimately synth. great. It's like synth pop, yeah. Euro synth pop. It fucking rocks. Ah, oh, oh, completely worth watching. And uh, watch that on on top of watching Ken Russell's The Devils. Yeah. <laughs> seriously fucking watch ken russell's the devils watch it super hard but like prepare to sit down for a while after you've watched it because you might need to talk to somebody about it yeah 
Uh, you should, in fact, you should join the Right Good Discord and or the yeah. the Kitty Sneezes Discord and talk to us about it. We love talking about yeah, it. Yeah, because we watch crazy movies together on Sundays and and talk about them and and we've been doing horror double features lately. And I don't know what we'll do next, but we always try to watch something unusual. Like we watched. Uh, I was so glad that we got to watch the Abominable Doctor Fives because I love that movie super hard. I missed that it's one, so and I still I still have not oh. seen it. You can find it on YouTube. It's up there for full. There's a full version of it on YouTube for free. It's amazing. It's basically like, what if Saw was fun? (laughs) Like Vincent Price in this ultra campy mixture of like art deco slash like 70s art pop aesthetic. Just getting revenge on on doctors in increasingly ridiculous ways. It rocks. It's so much fun. It's so like weird and psychedelic and colorful and morbid and goofy and it's absolutely a blast to watch. I really need to watch The Phantom of the Paradise because yes. we are we are running um, we are running an analysis piece about The Phantom of the Paradise uh, in the next issue of uh, Blood Knife and I initially tried to watch everything or read everything that that we ran pieces about but it became an impossible task almost immediately <laughs> but but oh, uh, yeah, I, yeah. I know that that one that is one that i need to, to to see it's awesome it's wild the music in it is legit really great and it's just so much fun it's so it goes like so full tilt weird <laughs> Okay, so why don't we talk a little bit about how do we get back to a healthier ecosystem of criticism? How do how do we get to a place where people aren't learning what art is from fucking cinema sins and TV tropes? I mean, I think the first thing is to nationalize Facebook and Google and to fire everyone and <laughs> and to uh, operate them for the common good. That would probably be the easiest way. But um, <laughs> but but absent that, I, I mean, I, honestly, I, I think that one of the most powerful things that people can do is to produce some of their own media criticism. Like to you know, people talk a lot about gatekeeping, and I I, I think that we've kind of taught people to gatekeep themselves, like. Like, it is not that difficult, honestly, to write up a piece about why you like or why you enjoy a piece of media and why it speaks to you. Like, hell, start a Medium account, start bio domain name, and, you know, start right. writing stuff. S- start a Substack. A lot of my friends have Substacks that are, you know, a delight to read. Even and just, just, even just a post. Like, I've watched so many weird, obscure horror movies from the 80s simply because of a couple of screenshots posted yeah. by, like, that Bakun guy. Yeah, and, and the other just thing is, Just posting like, screenshots of these completely bonkers, weird 80s body horror movies and just, me just seeing that going, ooh, I, I, sh- I gotta watch that. I- 
I gotta watch that. That sounds fucking great. I do wish that people would label their screenshots because it's really tiresome yeah. when you see a thread of like post the most visually interesting stills from horror right. films and you're like, wow, these all look fucking cool. I wonder what they all are. <laughs> what is it? Let me help me see this. Tell me what this is, please. But but yeah, just you know, it it, it really does start with individuals. Like your media takes are valid and interesting and you probably have you know everyone is a critical lens of of one ultimately right like like we all have very different experiences in our lives that speak to us that cause media to speak to us in a very unique and and different way and it changes dramatically too you know i have to like i I mentioned this a lot but when i had kids the way that like children in horror films or horror films about children struck me very differently than before i had kids like the same the same oh, yeah, films. Yeah, I'm seeing it happen to my friends who just had kids. Like anytime now, anything happen, a, a baby or a child is in danger at all in a movie and they just start flipping yeah, out. I, y- I'm like, guys, it's not real. They're like, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't do this. I can't. Oh, God. Yeah, uh, the... The scene in Train Spotting where they find the baby oh, that has God. died in the crib because they were too high, that is the most horrifying part of the movie to me. The part where he's having like withdrawal freak out, like who cares about that? The bad thing has already happened. Right. The that that is the horrifying part of of that movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. And to, to to me now, you know, and that's and that's again, it's a critical lens of, of one. It may speak differently to, to other people. You know, I, I would just encourage people to kind of like break out of either restating or reacting to the primary, ne- you know, critical narrative that you've been given about a piece of media. If you watch a movie that you've been told is, you know, a chilling indictment of whatever, and you don't think it's that way at all, you don't just have to say it's not this at all. It sucks. You know, try to flesh out why you think it's not that. And then also maybe try to think think about what it what it is, you know, try to replace it with with something movies Hmm. and books don't simply succeed or fail by completing a a premise they they may succeed at something uh completely different than than what you know they set out to do in in a different way the other thing i I think is um read uh different places You, you know don't like I catch myself doing this all, all the time of just like, let me see what bad articles have been written about XYZ so that I can get mad at them. And while that is fun to do, it's probably a better use of my time to to try to seek out stuff that isn't going to make me mad and, and will maybe expose me to some some new media and, and also like stop reading listicles about stuff. That's that's another thing. They There's never anything useful in those. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, get outside your comfort zone. Avoid listicles because they're they just fucking suck. They're generally kind of pointless. And um, also, if you do have any kind of platform, and it doesn't have to be a huge one, maybe you just got like a Twitter account with five hundred followers. Like, get, use that to to bring attention to stuff that you love and and stuff that deserves a little bit more attention. It, it's incredibly hard to get your work seen when you're an individual artist who doesn't have this giant marketing machine behind you. It's incredibly difficult. And a lot of times when you write and you publish, you kind of feel like you're throwing something into a void because it's like, okay, it's published. That That's it. I haven't heard anything about it. Everybody's still talking about Game of Thrones <laughs> two years after the show ended and no one 
is looking at what I have to say and and it feels like very frustrating and alienating and like why am I doing this and it's just awesome just if if you can like give somebody else's work a boost um and if you have a bigger platform consider trying to use that too like something Shannon Strucci does which I think is really admirable is in between her videos about like really kind of big major shows and, and big major things, she'll also do something on like, hey, check out this tiny obscure indie comic. And she makes it knowing that she's not going to get thousands of views the way she is for her other work, but she's doing it sort of taken one for the team because she recognizes like this thing fucking rocks and people should look at it. Yeah. And to, to that point, you know, make I, I would encourage people to make a point of trying to follow individuals rather than publications Mm-hmm. Two people that I started following um, as a result of reading very trenchant analysis pieces that they had written in in the dearly departed outline actually were uh, Gretchen Felker Martin and uh, Connor Southard from from Podside Picnic. They they each had very good analysis pieces in in the outline specifically, uh, and I was like, oh, I should follow these people and see what more they have to say. And uh, they have a lot and to Gretchen say. And Gretchen Filker Martin's <laughs> awesome too. Gretchen, our, our repeated guest, filthcore queen, she has a lot to say about cinema, about fiction, about comics. That she's always writing about some movie that maybe you haven't seen, but it is definitely worth checking out or worth talking about. And she does a lot to try to unearth kind of neglected or forgotten queer cinema, queer fiction, queer art, because it's really hard to to understate just how how bad the AIDS epidemic mm-hmm. kind of like cut this chain just how this one entire fucking generation was lost so if you're a, if you're a youngish queer person today you're kind of trying to come to come in here through a society where you don't have elders because they all fucking died well not all of them but <laughs> where there's this massive massive broken link here in in terms of queer art and queer culture there's this huge missing piece and you're it's like you're you're trying to fucking rebuild society after an apocalypse almost yeah and yeah and to 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 that point that's a viewpoint that i myself would never uncover on my own and you know i will I will very boldly go on record as as saying I don't always agree with Gretchen's takes, but they're always educational and very edifying and extremely thoughtful. And you know, to that yeah. point, the the people that you should follow, the people whose whose analysis you should read are the people who are good at analysis, not necessarily the people who always say the thing that you agree with. If you're reading someone who always says exactly what you're thinking, why are you reading them? You, right. you know that's 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 pointless. There there there's a difference between hate reading someone and being like I don't always agree with this person but they always have a good viewpoint. They always put a lot of effort into into uncovering things. So you know make sure make sure that as you consume criticism you are consuming people's criticism that are good good at criticism not just that are saying the thing that you agree with. It's 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 right. very edifying for your own ability to engage with with media and you will it will improve your own uh, ability to to do criticism I, I i would say i would argue right I, th- I i can't understate how important enough it is to try to rebuild this after 
I mean, we have a media landscape that's so monopolized. It's so consolidated. Everything's kind of owned by this small number of people. And I think it's really important to try and push back at this and creating an ecosystem of genuine criticism and genuine conversation can kind of take it away from from Disney a little bit. Take it away from the big Disney PR machine and, and have it be something that's much more organic and much more of an organic community and not just reacting to the hype machine as it puts stuff in front of us and says, this is important and this is what we're talking about now. And, you know, what's interesting is you can you can make a dent without winning and still have, you know, against the hype machine. Like part of the reason that I mentioned American Dirt a couple of times is, is obviously because from from people doing their own criticism of it, they they started talking about its shortcomings about you know, the accuracy, or I should say lack of accuracy with which it was actually depicting an immigrant experience. And that was not part of the media narrative that was built up and presented to promote the book. It didn't stop the book from being a bestseller, but imagine imagine how much more frustrating it would be if that that hadn't been picked up, that hadn't been discussed. You know, there, there, there were articles that ultimately did run in the New York Times criticizing that book for its its failure to actually accurately capture or, or honestly depict an immigrant experience and, you know, basic factual errors, basic cultural errors that it, it contained. Um, and I think that the, the world would be a worse place if that counter narrative weren't there. It, it doesn't matter as much that, that the counter narrative didn't didn't beat back the tide of a million dollar marketing budget. Like to, to an extent, some things are just going to you kind of just have to live with the fact that the Marvel movies, for instance, or or a heavily promoted book or is going to make money until they don't. But the yeah. question of how long until they don't is is probably heavily dependent upon the extent to which people actually are criticizing it and are putting out different ideas that aren't just like a rewritten press release, basically. So, so you know, you don't have to win right. to make a dent. Right. And I mean, you can redefine your idea of winning. Yeah. Too. Like, it doesn't have to be like, ah, ultimate victory. I have defeated J.K. Rowling <laughs> with a sword. But, you know, maybe winning is like, hey, here's this other book about a boy wizard that isn't made by a giant transphobe. Hey, here's this other thing that you can check out instead if you want to if you want to give your kids something to read that won't turn them into a gross turf. Here, here it is. Like, to me, that is a kind of a victory. And that that's where new art artistic movements come from often like if you look at something like the french new wave or um a lot of kind of like the the 70s feminist filmmakers they came out of film criticism movements like the the french new wave directors a lot of them started out as film critics writing about the films that were coming out earlier and then developing their own artistic language. Feminist film criticism came out of a bunch of feminists who started writing about, you know, the films that were coming out and then wound up developing their own cinematic language. You know, that is a big place that new artistic movements come out of. And if we want our own artistic movements to not just be Yas Queen YA uh, series and, <laughs> and, you know, Marvel uh, phase 15, you know, we need to be doing the effort to 
not just say that this stuff sucks, but say why it sucks. And then also, you know, saying actually, though, there is maybe there is something interesting here that is is worth discussing. What if we, you know, it's, it's not it's not about canceling things. It's about right. analyzing them for for good or, or for right. Ill. Right, avoiding the knee-jerk response that got us the big dog pile on Isabel Falls' uh, short story about the I, helicopter. I, I, I because still goddamn. can't get over the fact that some of the most prominent voices in that dog pile admitted that they hadn't read it. It's a sh- First of all, it's a short story. It literally says it's short in the name of the thing. Ten-minute read. They, you yeah, can do yeah, this. You can, you, can, you can do this. Uh, 20 years ago, if if you were a prominent voice in a discussion like that and you admitted that you hadn't read the thing, you would be laughed out of the room. And the fact that that is no longer the case is is deeply troubling now. The idea that you can do media criticism without consuming the media is a, is a problem. <laughs> yeah, not even with re- consuming it in a shallow way, literally not reading beyond the title and going like, well, this is bad. Unreal. I, I feel like I... I lost a lot of uh, respect for SFF when that happened, and I have not regained it. And I do hope to be part of whatever the next wave that comes along to wash away whatever the fuck that is. (laughs) Because we need something better as a society. We need something better than people getting excited about how feminist this breakfast cereal mascot is. And it's not Hope Punk either, please. Please. <sighs> Mope Punk. Mope Punk. <laughs> I'm all about Mope Punk. I have glower power. Glower power, that's great. I love it. <laughs> I have been noticing that it does seem to me that the the tools of gothic art appear to be returning um, to, to my eyes. Thank fucking God. And I think that's good. And I think it's, it's, it's a timely time for that to happen. Yeah. And I do, I do feel like there are, is more of this like leftist media made mainly online through like podcasts, but sort of a, an, an emergencing alternative media ecosystem. Thank fucking God. Like struggle sash there. They do leftist criticism of film and the film industry. That's really insightful. And I think a really, it's a big breath of fresh air compared to all the, the sort of consensus yeah. of what we have it's, now. It's thoughtful. It's long form. Struggle Session in particular uh, is named that because they have come to terms with the fact that you can like stuff that sucks politically and, and vice versa. <laughs> and that is an important aspect of criticism is to be like, I like this thing. Here's why I like it. Also, here's why it troubles me that I like it as much as I do. You know, that's that that that's a yeah. very important a- aspect of film criticism. The art you consume is not who you are, but you should but you should look at what you are consuming. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. <sighs> so why don't we wind it down? We've we've talked a good while. Um, where can our audience find your work? How can our audience support it? Uh, so I, I like you mentioned um, so kindly. I am the editor of Blood Knife, which is a uh, a monthly digital magazine uh, about science fiction, fantasy, horror, and capitalism. Each month we release between five and six, and hopefully more soon, original pieces of uh, media criticism and analysis, where we we discuss themes of capitalism and anti-capitalism and and anti-fascism and fascism and and pro and 
anti-LGBTQ themes in in a, a pretty wide variety of uh, of media. Um, we we do tend to focus on kind of the speculative fiction realm and and horror. So you know we've we've taken a look at uh, things like the interplay between drone warfare and the kind of Asimovian. Uh, ideas of laws of robotics. We've taken a look at uh, imperialism and anti-imperialism and Game of Thrones. Um, We write about a mix of both pretty well-known and lesser-known media artifacts. Everything that we do, everything that we publish is, is paid. We set out with a mission to pay our contributors fairly because so much of online writing is really badly paid if it's paid at all. It's appalling. Yes, it is. It is uh, terrifying, and I, I salute anyone who has the stomach to do that professionally because it is it is a challenge. It is a slog, but we do that uh, through our Patreon, which is at Patreon.com/slash/Bloodknife, and you can find the magazine at Bloodknife.com uh, by signing up to the Patreon. You get early access to the full complement of articles for for each issue and we also do things like including you know themed playlists and and other other goodies and uh, our Halloween issue is out presently and by the time that that this comes out it may well be uh, the November issue which doesn't really have a theme yeah it'll be the November issue by the time this episode comes that's, out that's fine um, because we've got some really cool stuff in <laughs> in that as well um, we we have an article uh, about the Phantom of, of uh, the Paradise by uh, my yeah. my good friend uh, Chris Woodward who is also I'll say the other thing I'll promote is um, I also have a podcast uh, called Parents Just Don't Understand, which is about children's and family media, media, blah, blah, children and family media from a uh, leftist perspective. And so Mm. we take a look at kind of both the media that uh, made us who we are and the media that is making our kids who they will be. And that is uh, co-hosted by myself and my wife, Denise, who is awesome. And uh, we just added a new co-host who is the aforementioned uh, Chris, who will be well known to to at least a couple listeners um, of this podcast. Uh, and and nice. so we, we try to go deep on kind of what messages are contained in this media. And also we just have, have a good time complaining about dumb children's cartoons. But thank you so much <laughs> for having me on. It has been a delight. I'm a big, fi- I'm a big fan of the podcast. Uh, I really appreciate how deep you all go on the craft of writing, which is something that I am working on improving at myself. So thank you. Oh, well, thank you very much. And thank you, audience, for listening. If you like what you heard, head on over to patreon.com slash writegood and subscribe. You get bonus content and access to the Kitty Sneezes Discord, where we talk about writing, we hold group write-ins, we give each other feedback, and we shit-talk book Twitter. And be sure to join us next time when we talk about... I'm not really sure I haven't figured out an official topic. Until then, keep writing good. Kittysneezes.com in color.